Glad to welcome you to our Sunday School class today, uh, devoted to God's church. Let's uh, bow together in prayer as we begin. Lord God, we are very grateful for this opportunity to uh, to, to read and to think uh, about your word and about the grace that you give to us, especially the, the grace that is of a corporate nature. And we pray that uh, as we think about that today, that you would be causing us to grow and uh, to uh, to minister to one another and that you might bless us in that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Start The way I've been starting all of these classes by remembering that phrase that Ferguson uses, that believing involves belonging. And uh, we've been talking about the means of grace or the way in which God uh, nurtures our faith, not just individually as believers, but uh, but thinking mostly about the way together God blesses us and uh, some of the purposes that God has in that. Today I want to think about this subject of, uh, of serving one another. Uh, very simply and very significantly, I would say that the love of Christ motivates us to love one another. And that love takes the form of serving one another, of bearing one another's burdens, of being merciful to those in need. Those are all kind of intertwined concepts and sometimes used interchangeably in in the New Testament. To introduce the subject, I'd like to take a look at a couple of passages that are listed on your handout. 1 John 4 and 1 Peter 4. So if I could have some volunteers to look those up. 1 John 4, 7 through 11 and 1 Peter 4, uh, 7 through 10. Jeff, thanks. So we'll start with Chris on 1 John 4, 7 through 11. We'll just read both of these passages and then I'll make a few comments by way of introduction. And then 1 Peter 4, 7 through 10. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. If each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. In both of those passages, it describes the love of God that he has for us in Jesus Christ and then calls us to practice that love that we've experienced from God in the love that we have for one another. And the passage in 1 Peter 4 especially uses that term of serving one another or bearing one another's burdens. And in both of these passages, there's uh, there's a, a laying out of what the Christian life consists in. And if you read through the whole book of First John, which is uh, what you can do very easily in one sitting, 
One of the things that you'll notice is that John uh, speaks about the contrast between the Christian life and the non-Christian life. And earlier he said that the actions of the child of the devil are easily recognized. The child of the devil does not practice righteousness, nor does he love his brother. Those two qualifications are some uh, easily identifiable markers for the for the non-Christian life, which implies a positive side to that, a practice of righteousness, and a loving of one another. And I'm especially interested this morning in this idea of loving one another as an expression of our belief in God, and and then especially as it is involving the uh, involving the belonging. So John goes on to show that Jesus is the perfect example of the Christian love. He shows us this so that we might, uh, as Table Talk uh, devotional says, that we might know what it means to love one another. John writes that we are to imitate the love of Jesus by having so much concern for our brethren that we are willing to lay down our lives for them. I'll define this a little more later, but let me make a quick disclaimer. You need to remember that John isn't teaching here a salvation by works. It's very tempting in a passage that is detailing how we ought to live to slide off over into the ditch to think that uh, my salvation is based on my obedience or is earned by my obedience. Whenever we see Jesus as an example, uh, you need to be careful of the temptation to approach your relationship to God by being good enough. So John dispels this in the very first chapter uh, of of this letter, where he says that if we say we do not sin, we lie, and the truth is not in us. So no one is saved by their obedience, because we all uh, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And we continue to sin uh, even when we are believers. And our salvation is not based on that. But when repentance takes place, there is action that that comes because of that. There's fruit that grows because of it. So we will always say that salvation is by God's grace received through faith. But that faith then shows itself. And in this case, it shows itself in the body of believers in this kind of mutual love, a bearing of one another's burdens. That's why John can say, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So... By way of introduction, this is uh, an integral part of the Christian life, that we would serve one another. And uh, not only is it an an integral part, but God has designed it to be part of the liveliness, part of the expression of our faith. Because of that, it's something that, uh, that God blesses as well. So let's start with the, the, the motivation for loving one another. And uh, I'll say that the motivation is, 
is not because we are lovable. I say that hopefully you can you can see my smile, and if you're listening to this audibly, I, I have a big smile on my face because um, hopefully, as you as you think about it, you know there are a lot of unlovable characters in this church, right? <laughs> We're all unlovable characters in and of ourselves. Uh, you're going to go home and say, "Pastor told me I'm unlovable." <laughs> well. You are, actually. <laughs> uh, we all are because of that uh, sinful nature that, uh, that we have before conversion and that the, the sinful temptation that we wrestle with throughout the rest of our lives. So we need something other than our being lovable to motivate us to love one another. And that is the love that Christ has for us. We have to begin there. And in fact, that's where uh, John does in the passage in 1 John and where Peter does as well. And we'll see that Paul uh, does too. We start with the very fact that, that God has loved us and that Christ has loved us and that he laid down his life for us. So if you think about the, one of the parables that Jesus told, he told the parable of the unforgiving servant. Now, we won't look at that, but I'll just call it to your memory that there's a, a, a servant who is found to have owed, in our day, millions of dollars to the master and is thrown in, pr- in prison and he begs for mercy and asks that, the, that his debt might be given time to repay. And uh, not only does the master give him time, but he forgives his debt. And that man then goes out and finds somebody who owes him pennies and throws him into prison. And that man begs for time to pay it back, but the servant will not forgive. The idea here is that since you have received such mercy from God, since you have received such kindness that you ought to know the, uh, the, the the contours of forgiveness and and bear that same type of patience and forgiveness with with those around you, especially with brothers and sisters in Christ. The love of Christ motivates us because we have received mercy. And since we have received mercy, we then in turn show the same type of love and mercy to those around us. Not only that, but um, there's that that saving grace that is given to us and the love that motivates us. But there is also the example that Jesus then bears out in all of his life. And for this, I'd like to take a look at uh, these two passages, Philippians 2, 1 through 8, and 1 John 3, 16 and 17. So who'll take Philippians 2, 1 through 8, Mark? And uh, then 1 John 3, 16 and 17. Thanks, Greg. Uh, Longer passage, but uh, just a really powerful passage here to uh, show the basis of the love of Christ for us and the example of that too. 
So in that passage, there is uh, the redemptive work of Jesus Christ that involves a, a humbling of himself, humbling of himself to being the point of a servant. And uh, in verse 5, it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, and then it describes it. But the point of what, what Paul is getting at here is in verses 1 through 4, which is is the application of uh, of what Christ has done for you, and and how that is then to uh, to be worked out in the the way in which you uh, interact with one another. Uh, let no one uh, think of themselves more highly than they ought to think. Let nothing be done out of selfish concern and conceit. Rather Look at others and let their concerns be higher than your, your self, uh, selfish concerns. And this is based on what, uh, what Christ has done for us. And this comes through as well in 1 John 3, 16 and 17. We'll come back again to uh, a, a practical uh, looking at this that comes up in verse 17 uh, about how the sharing of goods is, a, is a, an expression of laying down our lives for each other. But I'm underlining here the motivation. Um, this is how we know what love is. Uh, it's because of what Jesus has done for us. He, he laid down his life for us and in this case, it's talking about the literal laying down of a life. He actually did die for us. And not only did he die physically, but he suffered the wrath of the Father on our behalf. And so uh, this is referring to the greatest act of self-sacrifice that, that can be seen when Jesus gave himself to take our place on the cross. Now, our love for our brothers is not redeeming in the way that Jesus' love is for us. But even so, John uh, and Paul pair these things together. Since Jesus laid down his life for us, we also ought to lay down our lives for each other. And remember, we, we cannot redeem each other, but uh, the the pairing of those two things, the coupling of them as, as the New Testament does, makes a powerful argument for the grace of God that he is 
is demonstrating through our life together as we show the love of Christ that we've experienced by loving each other. And it really is just as a, a very powerful uh, example and a powerful motivator for us. To that uh, uh, redemptive laying down of his life, there's a compassion and a um, and, and a, a servant-like uh, uh, activity of Jesus Christ that is shown in uh, in these passages. And we have uh, three more passages here that I would uh, invite readers for: uh, Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Sean, uh, Luke 4, 16 through 19, Greg, and Matthew 10, 7 and 8. Jeff? We'll start with uh, Matthew 9, 35 through 38. So in this passage, there is a description of Jesus' ministry. It is a gospel ministry. He goes about preaching and teaching that the kingdom of God was at hand. He was calling people to repentance of their sins and faith in Jesus Christ. But as he went, uh, there is a deep compassion that he shows to uh, to the people that he was was ministering to, a compassion that it, he describes as seeing them to be weary and scattered like sheep without a shepherd. So just pause and and let that imagery sink in a little bit. why would why would sheep scatter? Well, because there's a wolf in their midst. Because there is a predator that has come and has ravaged them, has torn them with uh, with tooth and claw, has maimed them and killed some. And Jesus, in ministering, sees the work of a, a greater enemy, the greater enemy, Satan, who would burn and destroy and pillage without any remorse or restraint among the people of this world. He has and he does, and you can see it every day. And you know the effects of it in your own life as you wrestle with your own sins. So Jesus compassionately deals with those. Jesus comes as a promised champion. He knows the enemy. He knows his work. He knows this world, and he knows his sheep. And he was moved with compassion for them. And so he did something. There is, a, there is action that is taken. Along with his teaching and training, he also feeds and heals and touches the leper. leper. He engages with the prostitute. Uh, 
all in fulfillment of this promise of the gospel, of the work that he came to do. He even says as much in Luke 4, 16 through 19, he, he reads from the book of Isaiah and says, this is what I've come to do, and I'd like to hear those verses. There is a, a, a wealth of, uh, of application that comes out of this uh, that, that all summarizes as that the, the gospel has word and deed that are, are mixed together. And that as we minister the gospel uh, to each other, that that, uh, that word and deed leads us to bear one another's burdens and to, to serve one another. And Jesus did that. And not only did he do that, but his compassion moved him to send out the church to do the same. This goes back to the passage that Sean read in Matthew that, uh, that out of compassion, out of seeing the, the sheep that were distressed and weary and scattered, he sent out his disciples so that they would take up that harvest that, that he could see. If you go on in, into chapter 10, you'll see that, uh, uh, that, that the motivation is then enacted as Jesus sent out his 12 disciples into the harvest. And uh, he instructed them to proclaim the gospel, but also to enact in word that gospel. And that comes through in Matthew 10, 7 through 8. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. So I'm particularly interested in the ways in which this grace of God is ministered to us by each other in the church and how that love of Christ motivates us and the command of Christ motivates us. You can understand then how John could say, as we read in 1 John, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? It's this love of Christ that motivates us to mercy. We're going to move on now to think about what this looks like, but I'll pause and ask if you have questions or observations about the love of Christ that motivates us to love one another.
Okay, so let's go on and uh, talk about uh, loving and serving one another. Uh, just by way of explanation, we often use the word mercy or compassion to describe how we might might bear one another's burdens. And compassion is a really good word. It literally means to uh, to suffer with someone. If you break down the word, the C-O-M uh, has the root meaning of with, and the passion is not what we often describe as passion as a, a as love or, or a sexual passion. Uh, an older meaning of passion is, is the idea of, the, of suffering. Uh, so you might think of uh, the, uh, around Easter, we talk about the, uh, the passion of Christ. And that's not talking about uh, a love affair. It's talking about the suffering of Christ. That's the older meaning of that term, the passion of Christ. So compassion means to uh, uh, to suffer with. But oftentimes today, when we think about compassion, we uh, we narrow it down just to the feeling or the emotion of uh, of uh, of understanding or feeling sorry for someone else who is suffering. I'll date myself here. One of our former presidents famously said, I feel your pain, uh, President Clinton. So that's a, that's a while ago now, but uh, he got great press for that because of the suffering of those in, in economic hardship. And here's the leader, the president of the United States saying, I, I feel your pain. And I, I wonder just how much he really did enter into the suffering of those who were economically depressed. But that's a story for another day. I won't, uh, won't go into that. Uh, but isn't that the way we often approach compassion? We will say, I'm so sorry for what you're going through. And then we go along our merry way. We express a feeling, which is important, it is part of compassion. It is to enter into the feeling of that, but there's also a suffering with that that has in mind some type of action that goes along with it. Uh, but there is a ditch on the other side too, where where it, in my own experience, when there's someone in need, I can tend towards rushing in to address the physical need, uh, but not wanting to engage with the messiness that that person's trouble has. And so uh, it's a lot easier for me to solve the problem and, and kind of walk away. Uh, so there are two aspects to compassion. There's the, there's the entering into the uh, the, the emotional and messiness of the situation, and, and there's the solving of the problem. And Christian compassion brings those those two things together. And that's demonstrated really in Christ's words and his actions. 
He sees the suffering of his people. He enters into it by the incarnation. He saw it as he ministered, seeing the effects of sin. And so he he healed, he he proclaimed good news, he sent out the, the disciples. The very act of touching one who had leprosy is one that rises to my attention here. Because if you think about it, a leper has a communicable disease. And in New Testament era, a leper was cast out. There were communities of lepers that would stay together. And they could not touch or be touched by anyone else, lest that disease would would spread. So they would... They would live outside the city. If anyone came near, they would cry, unclean, unclean, so that, so that no one would come near them. But here Jesus has compassion for someone who is, is afflicted by the effects of the fall. And he touches the leper and heals their leprosy. It's a fascinating uh, study there to see Jesus entering in and engaging in what is happening here. Uh, he allows uh, a prostitute, a former prostitute, to come and, and weep over him and to use her hair to wash his feet, uh, uh, entering in to someone who is a, a social outcast, receiving her ministry, as it were, and in a sense, ministering back. So there's love in word and deed that is not just theoretical, uh, not just nice words. It it really does enter into uh, the troubles and the suffering that others have. So what does it mean then to lay down our lives for our brethren? That's what is described in 1 John 3.16 that we've read already this morning. Well, any time that you take on a burden for someone else, you are enacting love for that other individual because you are relieving their burden, but there is an expense because of that. Uh, Think of it literally. Uh, In a a week's time, uh, Emily is going to be out backpacking in the Rocky Mountains. She's going to be hoofing it along those trails with a heavy backpack on her back. And... uh, She might be suffering under that load. Uh, More likely, I think that uh, that she'll be speeding on up the trail and there'll be others that are suffering all around her. They may be too tired to continue. Now, if Emily sees that and she stops and, and says to her friend who's there, uh, let me help you. Uh, you're tired. You're worn out. Uh, I think you may may pass out. Uh, have some water. And here, 
let me carry your backpack for a while. Well, that comes at an expense because uh, Emily will now be carrying two backpacks. And, and that's hard. Uh, that's hard to do. But when you willingly set aside your own comfort and you choose to do without for a while so that you might help someone else, you're bearing someone else's burden. You are laying down your life. That's what it means to follow the example of Jesus Christ in in self-sacrifice. Remember, we don't do it in a redeeming way, but that link is so powerful that the apostles will say, Jesus laid down his life for you, therefore you lay down your life for others. So when you choose to help someone, you're choosing to lay down your life. You're choosing to be like Christ in that instance in helping to relieve someone else. That may be something that is... uh, that rises up in a moment of of great need, and it may be that uh, that within a, within the own congre- our own congregation that we've seen examples of this, just really wonderful examples of this, where someone is sick and the congregation rallies around to. Uh, to provide childcare or meals or visiting those who are in the hospital or who are homebound. Those are examples of laying down your life to help. Other examples are, uh, we've seen people volunteer to, uh, to fix someone's car or volunteers to, uh, to come and help labor when uh, when there's been a, uh, been damage done to a house or uh, a tree that has fallen these are are things that rise up in the midst of of the hardships of, of life that we have but it also I would suggest can can be something that is is learned and practiced as a lifestyle. If you have in mind that the Lord has blessed you with mercy and has blessed you with with finances or time or talents, that those are things that you can um, have in reserve or uh, have in mind that you can apply them when the need arises. So that may mean that you you live a more simple life so that you're ready, willing, and able to help when that time comes. Uh, simpler financially. Simpler in the sense of, uh, of the way you use your time, that it's not so overbooked so that there's no opportunity to help someone else. Uh, 
so those are, are some ways in which, practically speaking, we can lay down our lives for each other. And I'll make one more special application to this, and this, is, this comes from James Boyce. He makes a great observation that Christians learn and practice self-sacrifice, especially in the home, and especially in a marriage, that you... Uh, you look out not for your own interests, but the interests of your spouse and for your children. All too often we're looking out for number one, but in marriage and in family, you follow Christ by not looking out for your own interests, but for the interests of others. That's having the mind of Christ and uh, it will be practiced best when it's practiced nearest to you. They, uh, there's a proverb that says that the shoemaker's children go barefoot. Uh, I've taken this to heart in the area of pastoral ministry in that uh, there are far too many stories of pastor's children who are neglected by their pastor father. And I would say the same, that, um, that you need to practice bearing one another's burdens with those that are closest to you. And that starts with the family. And when it's learned and practiced in your family, there will... Uh, there will be this overflow as well that it will then be well-practiced, I would suggest, in the congregation too. Because it's something that, that you learn well and you come to love and you see the blessings and the benefits of it. And, uh, and there's an eagerness then when those needs arise for you and and your spouse and your children to participate in this kind of self-sacrifice that lays down your life uh, for the brethren. So by way of application, uh, take these two terms and meditate them on them as to how you can practice them in your own family and in the congregation and pray for the blessing of God's grace. These two phrases... Lay down your lives for the brethren and bear one another's burdens. They're very picturesque and they're worthy of meditation. Just uh, throughout this week, let, let those ideas roll around in your mind and uh, I even pray, God, God, show me ways that I can, uh, can die to myself and live for you and love my family and and my church, my, my brethren. And I mention church specifically here because uh, the second point that I, I'll, I'll make, I'll make these last two points fairly quickly, is that, is that there's engagement that takes place uh, being engaged and active in the local community. And the first local community that is around us is the community of faith. 
there is a broader community, but uh, but there's an important bond that is shared within the church. We are uh, children of God that are bound together because because of Jesus Christ. And so as you uh, read through the the New Testament, you'll often see that there is a uh, there's an interest in the community of faith and that the application of mercy and the application of, of care and bearing of burdens begins with the household of God. It's not exclusive, but it begins there. So be active and engaged in, the, in that local community. There are a variety of ways that you can do that. Uh, there is a, a supporting that is done uh, done through the connection emotionally and through prayer that is is offered up and lifted up. And uh, we've been trying to uh, encourage that in the life of the congregation. And uh, we're experimenting with one other tool, the, the tool of Slack, that you can, uh, can be uh, aware of things that are happening uh, and be willing to share your needs on that. It's a, it's humbling, but there's great reward when you share your needs there on, uh, on Slack or person to person or by email. Um, but there is that broader community as well. And this comes true again in Jesus's compassion as he saw, uh, saw what was happening in the, in the broader community as he, um, as he ministered. And finally, be engaged and active in, in a worldwide body. And, uh, uh, just very quickly, 1 Corinthians 16, uh, Paul comments on a collection that was taken up through the broader church that was then sent to Jerusalem, who was suffering famine and suffering poverty. Uh, and through that notable example, there's uh, a way in which we can see that there's a concern that is uh, that can be extended more broadly. I come to each at the end of each of these topics and, and think, wow, there's a lot more that could be said, and, and there is. So uh, I hope that this might be a, a jumping-off point for you to see how the grace of Christ is is ministered to us individually, but it's also ministered to us corporately and that we can experience that in, a, in really wonderful ways. We love one another, laying down our lives for one another and bearing one another's burdens. Uh, questions, I don't promise to be able to answer all of them, but uh, questions or comments. Mark.
Very good. And uh, I hope you'll have, each have kind of eyes for that and, and God would stir your hearts to, uh, to, to minister to one another. That's one of those ways that the, uh, the grace of God is, is manifested in us and, and, and it bears rich fruit as, as we do that. Other questions or comments? Let's bow together in prayer. Lord, thank you for the many ways in which uh, we can look and see how you've been stirring our hearts here in the congregation to uh, to connect with each other in in vital ways, and uh, how you're stirring us up to to pray for one another, to bear one another's burdens to lay down our lives so that we might carry one another's burdens. God, I pray that you would increase our faith. I pray that you would deepen our love for you and appreciation for what you've done for us and that that would be poured out then in, in, in acts of compassion and a, and a deepening of our relationship with one another. Lord, as we do... Um, give of ourselves, supply what is needed. Let us not be miserly with our finances or our time or our talents, but instead as we, as we are faithful in these little things, God bless us so that we may be faithful in greater things, and that our care and love for one another would increase. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks, you're dismissed.